Hey folks, it's Jeff Wenzel from the Woodshed Agency, and you are listening to my podcast called Successfully Funded. Here we go, let's turn it up. Turn it up. Woo! All right, here we go, here we go, here we go. Woo! Woo! Man! Monday mornings! Who doesn't love a great Monday morning? Everybody coming off of the weekend... Hopefully, you guys all had an awesome, awesome time this weekend. Hopefully, you guys, uh, your campaigns are doing well. You're out there getting your funding. You're, you're sending out your backer updates. You're, um, you know, you're, you're answering your questions and your comments. Maybe you're doing an Ask Me Anything over on Reddit. What an exciting time, huh? So if you are tuning into Successfully Funded and this is your first time, well, thank you for, for, for joining us. And now you might be wondering, why am I listening to this podcast? Well, if you've gotten this far, you've, you, you've given me a minute of your life. I appreciate that first. But what we're doing here is we're talking to project creators, either while they're in an active uh, crowdfunding campaign, or if it, a campaign just ended, or like in today's episode, a guru of crowdfunding is who we're talking to today. So that's what we're doing here. Why are we doing this, you might be asking? Well, a couple of reasons. Number one, this keeps me up to date with all the you know newest, greatest, tips, techniques, and technologies that, that are happening in crowdfunding. Uh, and also, I love talking to people. I love the stories. I love uh, you know, to hear what entrepreneurs are going through, how they're, they're, they're planning their, their careers and their businesses, and how they're using Kickstarter or Indiegogo to, to fund um, these projects. And I really, truly believe that this is the foundation right now, or can be the major foundation, if done correctly, for a lot of small business, if, if done right. So that's why we're doing this. So coming up on today's episode, that's probably what you're all really hoping for, is I'm going to be talking to Michael Men- Mendez, M-I-N-D-E-S, Michael Mendez. Uh, so Michael is a crowdfunding guru. Let me just pull up a couple stats here. So he has ran... 29 campaigns, it looks like, right? And he's in the board game world, but we're going to talk beyond that, right? He owns a company called Tasty Menstrual Games. I think I said that correctly. TMG. We'll just go with TMG from this point on. And he founded it back in 2009. And, you know, we, like I said, we didn't talk exactly about a specific campaign. We talked more around, around the mindset of growing a business in a company, what it's like being out in Utah uh, uh, for his project, working in the gaming community. And, Michael and I, I think, bonded really well. He's got a lot of great stuff going on. Um, just really has that entrepreneur spirit. So, so we, we kind of pivoted a little bit for, for this episode. It's not exactly about a campaign. We're talking about a guru here, a guy you, everybody should have their ears on and listen to. So, man, what a great weekend. It was beautiful and sunny and hot here in, in Detroit. So got the slip and slide out last night, let the kids play. We had a couple neighborhood kids over so that they could get you know, wet and wild. And, and we really tore it up. I was working on my, um, my sliding techniques for softball last night on the slip and slide. So you know, hurt my, my, my right side is, is tender today. My right hip and side is a little tender. Um, if anybody's interested in coming over and help me uh, massage that or uh, rub that out, I'd appreciate it. You can uh, go ahead and text me at 248-264-3464. Or you can just text me crowdfunding questions to my Ask Me Anything on the podcast, right? Um, you know, shoot those over to me and I'll, I'll answer any of your questions. I know. Where am I going with this? I'm all over the place. I get it. It's an exciting morning, man. I got a lot of, lot of good stuff going on this morning. And... Um, you know, so I'm just giddy. I'm giddy. After this, after I get this intro and podcast out, I'm going to be building a whole bunch of landing pages for people. We've got uh, current clients. We've got some stuff launching. We're doing, it's just, it's a lot of good energy around here. So I'm feeling excited. Something that happened the other day but that gave me the, man, I'm afraid of Americans type of vibe, which maybe, maybe this will be a new slogan, the I'm afraid of Americans. Um, so Friday night, we had a carnival slash send-off bouncy house thing at the at my son at Atticus's preschool and so we didn't get you know we, we went there we had this assumption that we were going to be able to that there was going to be a food truck there um the food truck equaled a ice cream um or i'm sorry a shaved ice truck with l- l- um, little caesar's hot and ready's in foil one-off pieces that was their food truck so we may want to talk about language and that uh, that's a whole nother thing so we Really, we didn't get to eat. Uh, kids ate some popcorn and just basically they ate shit for dinner. And um, I continued that process of feeding my kids more shit because we, we got home and all of us were hungry. It's 7.30, you know, uh, everybody's t- tired from a long day at school and stuff like that. So, so I, I did run out. I ran out to Little Caesars just to get our own pizza, right? Um, but while I was there... I just experienced, I think, America at its finest. So let me, let me see if I can 
elegant, elegant, elegantly, I can't even say that word, so, <laughs> so even that. Let me just see if I can paint a beautiful picture of America at Farmington on a Friday night at Little Caesars. Here we go. <clears throat> I should have some music that, that comes in right there, right? So I walk in. There's a um, re- rather short, larger woman, probably in her 40, early 40s, maybe even late 30s. Definitely not that old, but large and in charge. And, and then she's got her two daughters next to her who are also going to be large and in charge. You know, you can just tell. And they're drinking um, some Slurpees from 7-Eleven, the big ones, the big, huge gulp things, right? Just down in those Slurpees, right? And, you know, I'm like in line, so I'm just sitting there waiting for the guy in front of me to pick up his hot and ready. And I and she's on this lady's on the phone and she's like Randy, Randy, you gotta tell me what we want, Randy, Randy. I'm 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 at the pizza place right now. And, you know, now mind you, actually, let me back up real quick. This is after she called this number three or four times and Randy didn't answer. So finally, she gets Randy Randy on the line and she's you know, mind you, this whole time she's trying to check out. And I feel so bad for the girl, the girl working at Little Caesars. I mean, definitely had to be 17. You know, that's her Friday night making a little bit of extra scratch, and she's out there and. This lady is just, uh-huh, uh-huh, okay. R- Randy, you got to tell me, what, what, what do you want? What do you want? Then she's asking questions. Uh, can, can, he get, can he get, like, other toppings on it? And, and the girl's like, well, yeah, I mean, we mostly just do hot and ready's, but if you want something, I can make it. She goes, what about a deep dish? Well, that'll probably take, you know, 25 to 30 minutes if you wanted to order one, or we have pepperoni ones just ready to go. I don't know. Randy, what do you want? Randy, you got to make a decision, Randy, you know, and, and then she, so then she's like, okay, well, just tell me what I have right now. So then I hear this lady's order already. Now, mind you, the two girls are slipping their Slurpees Friday night. This lady, the, 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 or the Little Caesars employee goes, okay, you've got um, two deep dish pepperonis, um, four hot and ready's, one, two just cheese, two pepperoni, three orders of breadsticks. I mean, this is a monster order, yet Randy can't figure out how hot and ready's work. So by this whole time, I have walked up, ordered, I'll take a hot and ready and breadsticks, and, and on my way out, and this lady still can't get Randy to decide what he wants. Who doesn't understand the, comprehend, the, 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 the idea of what a hot and ready is? Who, who doesn't get that? Who's ordering that much pizza on a Friday night? And you just, you know, I just, I mean, I got in the car, and it was just that overwhelming, like, what am I doing in America, I don't fit here. There's got to be more people feeling this way. Really is. This isn't about, this is just looking around and going, that's the problem. Now I get it. I, I'm being completely judgmental right now. And I'm trying to live wholeheartedness right now. I, I'm reading some Brené Brown and I'm trying. I'm really trying. But when I look at that and I just see just everything wrong. Now, granted, I know I'm in there buying a little Caesars, too. It's my Friday night. And who knows what they might be going through. They might be going through. Randy might be the greatest person on the planet. But when you just see the amount of, like, the Slurpees, the size of people, the tone, the rudeness, the on their phone, the can't figure out how to order a hot and ready, when you add up the you, – you put context around the whole thing, man, that's a hard pill to swallow. So – I had that Friday night happen to me. Yeah. Yeah, I'm still thinking about it. It's Monday morning, and I'm still thinking about it. So I don't want to go down that route. I don't think I'm going to. But, woo! I hope those slippers were good. <laughs> I don't like slippers. I'm also, I'm not a slurpy guy. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I mean, people, if you like slurpees, like slurpees, but not for me, man. I'm not a slurpy guy. I don't like watered-down pop with ice i'm not into it just not into it so all right that's enough of me ranting remember a couple things you can do for me right if i'm doing this for you maybe you can scratch my back that would be awesome tell a friend about the podcast go go let them know shoot me you know shoot me a review on itunes reviews help a ton as well um shoot me an email if you got any questions on crowdfunding jeff at woodshed.agency if you want to reach out and 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 ask me a question obviously i'll put it on the podcast if, if you're interested in that you can text me i'll give you my number again it's 248-264-3464 and uh yeah i hope you guys enjoyed my conversation with michael because i i certainly did and it was it was real a real pleasure to get another crowdfunding guru on the line to uh you know to just talk about the state of crowdfunding and the industry and where we see everything going you know so yeah. All right guys. 
Thanks so much, and uh, we'll, let, let's go ahead and kick in my conversation. Not the ground, in the color blue, or in the color blue. All right, Michael, I hit the, I hit the red light. All right. Pan- now this is when panic sets in. <laughs> so uh, let's do a quick sound check. So what did you have for breakfast this morning? Same thing I have every day. I had a smoothie. What, what kind of smoothie? I put in fruit and powder and yogurt and uh, juice, and I blend it up. Okay. Now, so you've been doing that for a while now. When I'm in the when I am in the United States, I do that for every breakfast every day. Okay. And, yeah. Is it like a pro? What kind of powder is it? Some sort of protein powder? No, it's it's um, what is it? It, it has protein, but it's not a. Uh, like a whey protein Mega Man right, right. powder, right? Uh, You're not it's, getting uh, big. <laughs> it's uh, it's high in fiber. It's high in full, uh, you know, proteins. It's it's high in whatever antioxidants. I'm I'm forgetting a lot of the buzzwords, but it's okay. Mm-hmm. It's good stuff. It 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 allows for the in the longer time frame of the main thing is the longer time frame that the sugar from juice and blended up fruit to take to get into the bloodstream okay Um, so that's one of the main things that's important to me it having the um omega-3s i like it having a lot of the antioxidants and other stuff um prebiotics so not actual um Bacteria that's good for the gut, but the stuff that those bacteria like, right? Uh, so, you know, that's cool. Quote unquote well, I, health I, yeah. food powder, right? Well, that's that's so we're we're attempting to get my family into a smoothie routine in the morning. So this is actually I'm I'm, I'm glad I asked this question because I could have went with another one. Um, we're just struggling with. Um, a crappy blender, flat out. Like our blender sucks. Right. <laughs> so. I use I use Vitamix. Um, I believe that the analog speed updating is very important because uh, you can judge. After a while, you judge based on what's in there when you want to turn it up or down. Okay. One of the problems overall is that I I personally believe that if you're making smoothies for more than one person, yeah. it's actually beneficial to make them each individually if they're above a certain size. Oh, really? I drink, okay. I drink probably. Oh, what size is that cup? Uh, thirty or thirty-two ounces or something like that. Myself, if I get much beyond that, it becomes. Well, the way that I do things to produce my breakfast uh, would need to change if I was doing larger volumes. Gotcha. Um, one of the things about the Vitamix is that it comes with a plunger in the top. Okay. Right. Uh, so that way you can produce manual downward force on items that are not actually getting blended because they're floating at the top because uh-huh. down below they get blended up and it's just like, oh, it's not turning over anymore. I see. So if I was making for for a larger amount, I think my process would include that all the time as opposed to the rarity. Uh, in my experience, a good Vitamix blender – the one that I got was probably one hundred and forty or one hundred and fifty dollars, mm-hmm. and um, I got it many years ago. It hasn't been in daily operation until I might have been doing this for a year and a half now. It's it's quite a while. Wow, wow, yeah. I think uh, <clears throat> we're going to Amazon. We're, we're we got some Amazon search engines going out there. We're we're looking for a, a better blender. Yeah, I recommend the Vitamix. Make sure it has the plungeable top right. and. Uh, Added bonus is that it will also come with a dry, um, a, a dry mixer th- item, or okay. at least mine did. It can, uh-huh. and so in the case of my family, we have some. We have like whole grain wheat that we turn into flour on our own. Sure, sure, right. Sometimes, uh, but there are aspects about that you should soak it and. Uh, I, I have a, a sideline interest in nutrition, so that's where a lot of this knowledge comes from, aggregated cool. over a long time. Sweet. Well, Michael, I was excited to talk to you because um, you've read quite a few um, Kickstarter campaigns. At least that's what my Wonderful. data has. 
my dad has told me. So uh, uh, my, my, my pretend producer, who is still me, um, <laughs> looking through campaigns and stuff. Um, so I noticed that you've got, you've got a Kickstarter active right now. I, I, so I was wondering if we could chat a little bit about that and then just kind of learning a little bit more about you and, 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 and how you use Kickstarter for your business. So, so what are you currently uh, raising money for on Kickstarter right now? So we're in it now? Yeah, I think, yeah, yeah, let's do it. Let's just jump right okay. into it. You know what I mean? All right. Do you, do you want to repeat that question so that I can, or I didn't realize we were in it. <laughs> that's Sorry. all right. That's all right. No, we'll we just jump into it, man. We, we, we keep it kind of loose. Um, so I'm, I'm just, what are you uh, currently running, uh, running a Kickstarter for at this moment? Right. Right now we are running a game called Flow of History. Uh, it is a deluxified project, and I can get into that later. It's a very interesting thing to me. Yeah. Um, but it's a smaller game. We do board games, first of all. It's a smaller game than we would normally do on a deluxified project. Um, so it's a little bit different than the other ones we've run and have had be very successful, like with uh, Yokohama and Orleans. Um, yeah, that's what we have running. I personally have had very little to do with this project. Um, you know, just over time training people inside of my company to do these things because while I really like being involved when it's exciting and things are going amazingly well, mm -hmm. uh, if things slow down, like even a little bit, I just go, eh. <laughs> I have the tendency to do that, but that is also my nature in general in business. So right. it can be the case that I, I come in and I, I look at, I, I work very closely with, someone on the team for one week or two weeks and just like blitzkrieg through what they do. Right. And it's like, so how do you do this? What do you do here? Why do you do that? What about this? Would that be a good idea? And I've, I have to calm down a little bit and try to be a little bit more of a, a mentor. And uh, uh, yeah, a, a guy that I have a lot of respect for a uh, guy who's dad, Taichi Ono, who uh, helped, well, not helped, but he was responsible for uh, the Toyota production system. Toyota, a lot of people say, oh, best manufacturer in the world now, right? And the apparently the way that he would manage, and he ended up becoming like the supreme supervisor of all plants at some point in time, and he would come in and he was, you know, come to the plant manager, look around. Okay, this is what you're doing, okay. Uh, so I see you have a warehouse here. Um. I want this warehouse gone. You have a year to do it. I'll be back. And then just walk off. A year later, he comes back. The warehouse is gone. Things are running better because of all the things they had to do to be able to get rid of the warehouse. Uh, but at some level, he knew, at, probably from experience, what is the one item that if I ask them to change that will it, to be able to get rid of that will require them to do all of the things that will make this much better operating. Right. So I think at some level I need to be able to do that, um, uh, but also provide answers when, you know, when when something's like, hey, should I, you know, this software seems really great. Yes, agreed. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. So so what is the name of the company? Oh, sure. The name of our company, and please don't mishear me, um, because there's a word in the middle that <laughs> is a person playing musical instruments, right? That word is minstrel. People can confuse it for a health process. Yeah. Um, we are Tasty Minstrel Games. That came from a, 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 a very... I have a deep love for a lot of things very geeky. In one of those, I, I really like Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Uh, Robin's minstrels are very annoying. Uh, the whole movie through, there's winter and it goes to winter again. And it's all animated. At that it, that part is animated. And they eat Robin's minstrels. They're much rejoicing. I figure they can't be rejoicing if they weren't tasty. So, um, And then there was the, the fact that my... Um, my best friend wanted to play a bard in a D and D campaign, and uh, he got eaten. So, <laughs> all right, that helps. All right. So yeah, it's Tasty Minstrel Games. Uh, you can find us on the internets uh, at play, as in playing a game. TMG, as in the three letters. dot com. Play TMG. dot com. Yeah. Gotcha. So how, how long has the company been around? 
since March of 2009 is when I had legal starting of whatever. Um, okay. Paperwork yeah. went in. Yeah. Our first products released later that year. So, so, so what types of like, you know, I, I know board games, but like what types of like games are you kind of going after or working with or, or striving to create? Sorry for that breathing for effect. Um, <laughs> how to answer this? We make games for gamer geeks, um, and one of the ways that I like to express this, and it's not necessarily fully accurate, but for me, I identify with both of these things. If you are the type of person who has enjoyment from making a spreadsheet do your bidding, then you'll like our games. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> Other people like our games too, but if you're that kind of person, uh, you think it, you know, fun is three hours later you, you enter in like four numbers and you get a result as opposed to doing a, a whole calculation. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. I get it. I get it. So, so cool. So where'd you grow up? I grew up in Tucson, Arizona. I was All born right. in California and moved there when I was six months old. So Okay. Yeah. So what'd your parents do? Um, or do they still do? Oh yeah. Yeah. My dad, uh, worked as a financial advisor. I went to work with him, uh, before I started publishing games, I worked publishing games while doing that on the side and yeah. Okay. Well, you know, so, so when did like board games kind of enter into the life, like into the bloodstream, you know, where is that, where's that marker on the, uh, the timeline here? Uh, it, maybe it was in the womb. Oh, really? Um, but uh, it was certainly early. I remember, I, I can remember that I had to be five years old or under. I had to be at least uh, the very early stages, of, at the oldest, I should say, the very early stages of kindergarten. I was playing Candyland um, by myself. I had exhausted everybody, all options of people who'd play with me. And I thought, you know, this would be better with this change and that change. Uh, so yeah, it entered early. Um, when I was in first grade at, uh, elementary school, I got into the chess club. I was there all the way through when I was a senior, when I was a junior in high school, not a junior in high school, sorry. When I was in middle school, a, a game called magic, the gathering came out. I got very into that, um, played in a, a handful of pro tours, um, very competitive at, at, with that. Um, and got into hobby board games all that time. I played video games. Um, when I was around 14, I was like, yeah, I want to make video games. That's going to be my life, man. That's going right. to be awesome. And I, and so, okay, this company makes video games. Oh, what do I need to get a job? You need a college degree in this area. I'm 14. I'm not there yet. So right. like, a couple of years later, I keep checking in, and it keeps getting more difficult. You need a college degree and five years of experience. What? Only two years have passed. <laughs> I still don't have a college degree. Where am I getting this experience? Um, so I've wanted to be involved in making games all the time, uh, and I, I just started doing it. That's cool. Yeah. So, so you know, if you can, what does board games like mean to you in terms of like everyday life? You know, what, you know, what, what do you pull from them? The designing of them, the playing of them, just the whole like kind of mindset of them. So for me, uh, board games in terms of everyday life for me means trying to figure out a better way to deliver better product to our customers, mm -hmm. which means, for me personally, I don't get involved in in designing games. I get to at this point, I get I rarely get involved in the games that we choose. It's all about like helping teach people how to do things, as I mentioned earlier, and what's a better way to go about things. If we were looking at this uh, problem of delivering a finished product in a different way, what are the consequences of that, um, and so on. Well, you know, so is there a kind of a personal trait that you have that that you just you know you're aware of that you think makes you good at what you're doing right now? Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
I so as I mentioned earlier, I moved to to Tucson when I was six months old. That's when my dad started as a financial advisor. My dad is very before that he was a manager of a grocery store and was very good at that. Probably would have been at, become a supervisory manager, and he didn't want to be on the road that much. He wanted to be with family more than that. So that's when he decided to start as a financial advisor. Very interested in business. I love my dad. He's wonderful. I love my whole family, but my dad is like legendary to me uh, in a lot of ways. And I recognized this when I was young. So I was also interested in business things, partially because he was. Maybe it's genetic. I don't know. But for his work, one of the things that he did is every night he would watch a television show that was on NPR, not NPR, PBS. Right, it was television. Right, yeah. uh, the television version of NPR is on PBS, and it's called Nightly Business Report. And half an hour started about six p.m., so I was home all the time, and he would watch this. And I guess early on, I probably asked him. He's like, "No, I got to watch this for work." Eventually, it became the thing. I would watch it with him every single night, uh, and as long as I was watching, I was able to ask questions about what was going on. Oh, that doesn't make sense, and so I would get. A daily education in uh, finance, customer service, operating a business from my dad who had done this and and been as highly interested and for his work would look at those things and then provide advice as to where individuals should invest their money based on what's going on, right? So I had this training Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so – I believe that I have a gift for operating a business that is just very, very high-level, intuitive sort of stuff. Um, I'm also – I also don't assume that I'm right, which is helpful for yeah. when things blow up in my face, which is often. <laughs> um, and the other thing that I believe I have that really helps is a – I, for whatever reason – I have little to no desire for physical stuff. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. I'm more success does not mean, hey, I'm going to get a boat. Hey, I'm going to get a, a four-wheeler. I'm going to spend $3,000 on this doohickey. Mm-hmm. Um, so the combination of those two are really good because overall, I think I, we can produce good business results. And then I don't have a desire to actually spend that money on my personal gratification. The third thing is I'm married to a wonderful lady who also doesn't have a huge desire for stuff. Um, yeah, we live a, a upper middle class lifestyle. We have a nice home, right? Uh, in an area where we can feel that our kids are safe and it's a good community and all of that. So beyond that and putting food on the table, there's not a whole lot that right, right. either of us want. So um, those yeah. things are that answer. That's cool. Are are you uh, are you out in Utah? Yeah, Utah, oh, Mountain yeah. Green. So you know, it's intriguing how much, how many successful Kickstarter and companies are coming out of Utah right now. Are you at all part of that community of entrepreneurs and stuff? I I, I don't know how much you might be aware of this, but like, out of my ninety some odd interviews, I probably have, I don't know, twenty to thirty of them have maybe come out of Utah, which has been, it's been shocking to me. Like, what is going on in Utah right now for for crowdfunding? So I am part of the community. That is doing board games. General crowdfunding, no, I'm not. Um, What's going on? People, so as many people might suspect, Utah is filled with Mormons. Um, (laughs) I chose to become a Mormon when I was around 20. Yes, I chose this. Um, I wasn't before, right? All right. And that's neither here nor there. But one aspect... For me, observing, having not been, being, and having this business insight in general is that everybody, all people, have an idea, right? I have an idea for this thing, and it's going to be great. Mm -hmm. And at some level, I believe partially because of the, um, the principles of the religion, Mormons have more of an understanding that it Sure, it's great to have an idea, but you actually have to do something. And just the population. So where I live in in 
Utah, it's probably like 70% uh, LDS uh, Mormon people, right? Mm -hmm. In Salt Lake City, it's probably around 30% or somewhere between 30 to 50%. In Provo, it's like close to 100% and and so on. So just more, I think think it's that tiny little difference in a lot of cases that says do something about it uh, and then – People see their neighbors, right? And there's the ability to to talk about it. And yeah, I, I you know that idea I had? I actually did something and look. Right, right. People gave me $15,000. Now I'm going to make it and, and give it to them. That's cool. Or in much larger amounts as well, right? Right. That's my suspicion. I don't know. No, it's been in- intriguing. I mean, the the last two times where I just started to realize that, yeah, I'm talking to a lot of people from Utah, it's just cost of living. Um, I think there were some tax breaks and just, you know, like companies are, are going there that, to, to be able to be outside close to mountains, water, whatever it might be, just, just right. lifestyle, um, you know, getting and, out of Silicon yeah. Valley yeah. And, and New York or LA, kind of the big cities. It's like, and Utah is still what, I don't know, what is that? A couple hour plane? I don't even know if it's an hour plane ride, maybe. I don't even, it might not even be so, Yeah, something like that. And, and certainly one major factor is that uh, I, now that you've brought that up and I, I realize it again, uh, a lot of high tech companies are, are, Building operations here, mm-hmm. um, so between Provo and Salt Lake City, easy access to the airport, easy access to recruit from two relatively high quality colleges, uh, the lower cost of living, all of that, yeah. uh, and now there is an aggregation of uh, brain power in the computer science area that is not up to Silicon Valley levels, but. Mm-hmm. Outside of Silicon Valley, it's it's up to any levels outside of there, right? You know, in yeah. most cases, so uh, you get the benefits from from that, and so you know, and, and those people also at some level they have good ideas, and and oh yeah, I could just actually look at doing that, right? Right. Let me call these people who say they can make things. Mm-hmm. Can you make this thing that I want to make? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Wonderful. <laughs> That's cool. Now, now, do you have kids? I have four children. Okay, and, and where do, and how does uh, you bringing board games or being in the board game world uh, affecting their lives right now? Um, They've never I, I played would, one. <laughs> I, I would say um, I think they actually end up playing less than they would if I wasn't making them, because um, I get my own personal consumption when I desire it through my work, so it. At some level, my personal desire to consume outside of work is lower than it would have been. Um, but my son loves it. Yeah, uh, he thinks it's real. Uh, he wouldn't say it. He would. He would. He likes to say exactly the opposite of what he means, which I certainly did back in the day when I was his age. But it's like, oh yeah, yeah. And when I introduced the idea that in the future he'll need a job. He's young, right? <laughs> this is still years off. And I was like, "Well, you could do this, you could do that." No, that's dumb. No, that's dumb. Ah, that's dumb. Okay, well, well, what? Well, I guess, I guess maybe uh, I'd like to do what you do. <laughs> ah, the first yeah. admittance that <laughs> yeah. you think yep. it's super cool that your dad yeah. does this. It's funny. I, I had that. Um, I used to own recording studios. Uh, I had four of them throughout the United States, and uh, but I actually like never listened to music around my son. I I never brought it home. Like it just, I was so immersed in it that I never what didn't go to concerts. Didn't, you know, sure. and I was like, God, I, that's like my entire childhood was based around like rock shows and playing guitar, pretending, you know, just whatever it is. And I just, and so, so since I got rid of all the studios and flipped over to just crowdfunding consulting, I've, I've slowly been working back into like, oh yeah, I've got a Spotify playlist that's cool. I send it to everybody, you know, like I'm actually re-emerging into actually liking music, you know, so. Sure. Yeah, so I, I feel and that on the it, board game world, you know. It's not a lack of like for the games. Um, I, I imagine you've seen Ratatouille. Uh-huh. The, uh, the critic in there, and he says, I like... F- you know, why is he so thin? I like food so much that if I don't, if it doesn't taste good, I don't swallow. <laughs> you know, that's that's kind of how I feel about yeah. games. Yeah. If you ask me to play a game and I anticipate that I'm not going to enjoy that experience, either 
because of the game or because of the people sometimes. Usually not often the people, but it's usually the game. Um, I was just like, nah, thank you. I appreciate you asking, but no. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> it's like, I, I, I try to be nicer about it. I usually fail. I'm a little bit too blunt. <laughs> it's all right. The people know exactly what you're doing, though. I don't. I don't know if you're a Seinfeld fan, but did you happen to see? Oh him yes, in the, the Kesha. Uh, the Kesha hug. Kesha hug. Yeah, I'm, Kesha, I'm not remembering that one. It, it just happened like like yesterday. Kesha, the artist, tried to hug Jerry Seinfeld at an award show on camera, and he was like, "Nope, nope, nope, nope," and just. Totally turned her away, and she like ran away crying. But it was totally Jerry Seinfeld. Like uh, people don't touch me. I don't, you know. But well, yeah, at some level, you should realize that about Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's, he's yeah. very, he's very conspicuous about um, germs and things like that. Right. And it's like, no. Yeah. Are, yeah, are you my wife or my children? <laughs> right. I right. will tolerate whatever they've got because I know at some level I have to show them love, even if I maybe don't want to be hugged by them. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I, don't know. I just thought I don't even know why that popped in my brain. So, well, let's flip a little bit over to how, so like Kickstarter talk. So, how did you know Kickstarter kind of become part of your your business plan, and and how did you you know kind of start going to that well? It started before Kickstarter was Kickstarter, right? Kickstarter as a business started about the same time I I did, mm-hmm. um, but you know it was slow going at first for sure. Uh, we did eminent domain in. 2010, I think, November of 2010. Okay. It was a long time ago now. Uh, and I was super scared because I was not full-time as a game publisher then. And I felt that depending on how people responded, it reflected on, is this something I should be doing? If people, if I ask for money, And people say no. And by the way, I'm asking for $20,000, which is $6,000 more than any previously funded board game project on the platform. Uh, So, number one, I'm asking for a lot of money. Today, that's $20,000, please. But at that time, man, I was scared. What if this doesn't work? What does that say? Do I just give up? I'm working as a financial advisor. I'm very good at it. I like it. I enjoy the people I work with. I enjoy my clients. But is it just, is it the end of the game's dream? Right. That was the fear that I had going into it. Um, we ended up raising forty-three or $48,000. Um, and yeah, we just kept going from there. Um, we are, we try to be consistent. Um, we don't knock things out. Well, I say we don't knock things out of the park. On a regular basis, we can raise uh, over $100,000 without much trouble. Um, we've had three projects be over 250000 One of them, Yokohama, was like 450000 So when I say knock it out of the park, I am looking at people who are doing a million dollars plus on a decently regular basis. Mm-hmm. We're not doing that, but I don't feel that we need to. Mm-hmm. Um, I have I've so I am both a very good salesperson and the worst salesperson ever. <laughs> and the the way so I am the worst salesperson ever if you give me a situation and you say you have to make this sale and it has to happen in whatever short time frame or else yeah just I can't do that. Right. But if you want to ask me to build a portfolio of business that you can count on because people try you out at a low level and they they're like, oh, that was good, and um, you know you come back to them on a regular basis and they you ne- you just deliver. Yeah. Um, in that sense, I'm a very very good salesperson. Um, so so yeah, I, I've. No idea how that relates to what we were talking about, but um, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, we started on Kickstarter with Eminent Domain, and we moved on, and, and we've been consistent. We want to deliver really good products. We don't blow it out of the box because I'm not good at that, uh, hey, buy all this right now because uh, situation. We also, you know, we, we, we purposefully 
we do things that do not favor Kickstarter over long-term sales to people who didn't happen to see it in the mm-hmm. in the first month it was available and uh, quote unquote available to get right so we don't do these huge exclusives and and um that's i i see that as one of the main reasons why some of these guys who do more on a regular basis do more on a regular basis yeah um but now, do, do you have it, do it you doesn't have, feel right uh, Right. Do you have games in like physical stores or how, how do you do the long tail? Oh uh, yeah. We, we sell into, um, we sell into the hobby retailer channel. So if there's a, uh, a dungeon looking place that sells dungeon and dragons, they're the kind of, they're, they're my kind of people. They potentially put our games on their shelves as well. Um, so we do that. We have online retailers that we work with that concentrate in board games. We sell to Amazon. Uh, we do, we license our games for other languages to partners in other regions of the planet. Um, but we also sell globally. So yeah, there's a, there's a lot of sales after the fact. Um, you know, for example, Yokohama, which we, I think we sold 6,000 or so on the Kickstarter mm-hmm. and we printed another 4,000 wow. for retail, not of the deluxified and we can get into what that means, uh, but retail version. And I'm very, very wary of over, overproduction. Mm-hmm. And we've sold, we sold all those 4,000 out within like three weeks of it showing up. So now we have to print more and we're on the, we're waiting and which is super annoying to me. And that's a problem to solve that I'm working on. Right. But, um, yeah, that's to give an idea of the scope of what's going on with, um, with Orleans. I think we sold uh, about 4,000 on the Kickstarter. It was a deluxified again, and, and we should get into what that means. Yes. Yes. We've uh, talked about but it. But we've sold, We've sold another uh, something like twelve to sixteen thousand after the fact. So, yeah, we sell a lot afterwards, which is also why we don't want to pile in all of those exclusives at the beginning and make the rest of our customers upset that they weren't paying attention at this one point in time, and they might not have even known who we were at that time. Right? Sure. Right. So. So yeah. So we've 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 mentioned the word deluxified a few times here, or you have. What what is that in terms of your your types of games here, and and what does that mean? So that is a term that we are in the process of really trying to build a brand around and, and uh, you know protect that term from other people using because in the board game space, people have seen that our success and they're doing deluxe versions, right? But we at TMG have a different way of looking at that. Um, so when we, so we encounter lots of games and some games make us more excited than others. That doesn't mean the ones that we're less excited about aren't perfectly good and we should publish them. It's just that these other ones just like they sing to us, you know, it's like, right. oh, except it sounds good because it comes from someone place. That's not me. My, my voice. Um, I have a I have a voice for television and a face for radio. It's a great combo. But so we look at that and we say these games what is the way that we want this game? It has these extra wooden pieces, it has metal coins, it has these upgrades and that upgrade and and whatnot. And so the way we look at it is we utilize Kickstarter as a way to know exactly how much demand there would be on that mm-hmm. because the cost of those upgrades are often more than it would cost us to produce the base game in and right. of itself. And so we price those out so that we basically make $0 on the upgrade. Hmm. And we use the fact that the upgrade is limited availability, such as we will make it now, we will make some extra to sell at conventions and in case we have uh, damages that we have to replace. Uh, but the next time we're going to make it, if ever, is a long time from now. Hmm. So get it now. Right. And pay us the, the little bit extra to get the, the, the deluxe stuff. And that's worked out really well. Uh, it provides a really good reason to buy now. Hmm. It does not have uh, exclusive content that we feel bad about. And to give you an idea, right, 
Orleans and Yokohama are $60 retail price games. The deluxified versions, if we were selling them in the regular retail channel and you know, financing them up front and trying to do forecasts and all of that, to make those work, they would need to be $160 games or something like that. Wow. And so me as a consumer, yeah, it's great, but <clears throat> I don't want to pay $160 for any game. Yeah. I value the money too much. Right. And so we bridge that gap through a what I feel is a creative business model. Other people are following to some extent, which is fine, and I, I have no problem with that. <clears throat> but I want to make sure there's not confusion about it. Sure. When TMG does deluxe and it says deluxified, you know you're really going to get your money's worth. When other, someone else says deluxe, you're going to get extra stuff. Yeah. That's the difference that I want to be conveyed over time. I see. Yeah, I get that. How, how does this, you know, just kind of hearing it for listeners who we've talked about stretch goals like hundreds of times here on this, on this podcast, how, how do they differ in your mind? Deluxified to how stretch goals might impact how a game is made and, you know, extra pieces or whatever it might be. Sure, we do stretch goals. Um, in fact, when I did Eminent Domain, we had some. So, talking about mm-hmm. six years ago. <clears throat> the, sorry, my voice is going, but we'll it's keep going. Uh, power through. Power it's, through. It's, it's for the games. <laughs> Let me see. What's the difference between Deluxified and stretch goals? We utilize stretch goals inside of a deluxified project Mm -hmm. because, again, our cost of materials, the way we operate right now, goes down as we order more, as most people are used to hearing. And so we try to make it so that the deluxified version is attractive enough if we don't hit any stretch goals. And we actually have a little bit of cushion in there, you know, I mentioned that we don't want to make money on the deluxified stuff. Right. But, you know, we might have an extra $5 in there to allocate towards stretch goals as we get higher amounts. Otherwise, if we don't get the higher amounts, yeah, we'll pocket the $5. Thanks. Sorry we didn't get more funding. Um, it's just planning ahead. In a lot of cases, people want the stretch goals. In a lot of cases, we want to get the feedback from the customer about what they want. We know, yeah, we would like this, we would like that, we would like that. But when the customers see it, and there's thousands of them, and you get the, hey, what about this? Hey, what about that? Hey, what about this? Hey, what about that? Which is unavoidable. Mm -hmm. It's going to happen anyways. We might as well not have, we might as well have an unallocated dollar amount that we can do those things that the people actually say that they want. Then we go, yeah, we didn't think about that. And that is fantastic. We're going to do that. Thanks. Uh, yeah, it's, in, it's intriguing. Yeah, very intriguing. I, I see why you want to uh, own that market space and own that word because you're definitely doing something very unique. Uh, it, it, I, I think that people get into trouble in a lot of cases because people ask ask for those things, mm-hmm. and there is less discernment about what they should do and what they shouldn't do. And they're just like, yeah, we'll do it all. Right, and right. Cons- and there's not as much consideration of the cost and the mm. extra time and the extra weight and so on and so forth. Sure. Interesting. Intriguing. Very intriguing. So, you know, so in your mind, where do you see the company going in the next five years? Mm. Um, sorry, trying to get that thing out. I put a mint in my mouth. Yeah, you got to get that tickle. Maybe you, need, maybe you need to yeah maybe you need to make a smoothie. You want to? Should we make a smoothie? <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about smoothies before we got on the air. That's thank you. Appreciate that. Um, for those listening at home, yeah. Uh, five years is a long time for me to consider. I. I I hate forecasts. I think they're some of the stupidest things. Um, and I don't think it's a stupid question, and lots of people ask it. It's very common, so I don't blame you. Thank, um, you. Thank you. My personal feeling, and I like to express my personal feelings. Um, yeah, I just think they are, in general, a waste of time. So 
uh, five years from now, I have no clue. I expect that we will be doing what we do now. We will have improved. We will be getting better results because of those improvements. Um, we will be trying to listen to customers and give them more of what they want, either in games or outside of games. Like we just launched uh, our own podcast, uh, and that's interesting if you like games. Um, and interesting if you just like what I have to say, because I'm on there quite often. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, so five years is a really long time. There are things that we're working on. I would love it if we could do um, rapid turnaround of production in lower quantities and things like that, which is alien into most of our uh, suppliers. Yeah. And so it's a it's quite a problem to try and solve. Um, but if I can solve that, I five years it's like we yeah. Well, if I can solve that, it's a wonderful thing. Yeah. Well, what do you think that the next or maybe where board games are going? Like, where 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 what do you see is in terms of trends? I mean, just I don't know. Sure. That yeah. that, that is easy inside of my market. Um, there are games like Settlers of Catan, Ticket to Ride, Pandemic, uh, that are dominant in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. And there's one company who's been going about buying them all. Uh, <laughs> that company is called Asmodee. So, uh, Asmodee, what Asmodee sa- says, people will do. Right. Um, whether that is a, a situation where As- Asmodee can actually make money or not. I don't know. I don't see the insides of them, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe they're overspending on buying up these other companies. Maybe they're not. I don't know. But as of right now, they own a huge percentage of the market share from acquisitions. Um, Wizards of the Coast owns Magic the Gathering, which is, you know, may or may not be equivalent in size to all of what Asmodee owns in and of itself. Right. Um, and if it's not up to the full size, it's certainly at least half the size. And between the two of them, there might as well. Between the two of them, in my opinion, they could support the entire demand for the marketplace. Well, wow. Like, between the two of them, maybe it's 70% market share, and the other 30%, if they disappeared, yeah, they'd be missed, but people would get games. Yeah. It, life would go on. Um. So it's very much dominated by what they do, uh, whether it's intelligent or stupid, um, whether the stupidity benefits me or not, you know, any number of things. But yeah, they just they just own too much. It's interesting. Too, they own, not too much as in they should own less. Good for them. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm glad to see them at least at some level, quote unquote, succeeding. I don't see the financial numbers, but. Um, they own too much for the market not to sway with them. Gotcha. And in some levels, if they make the market, they're like, hey, market, you're going to sway the way that we don't, we want you to. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to unfortunately find out that you don't make the market go anywhere. The yeah. market punches you in the face. Interesting. Interesting. So <laughs> I, I was talking earlier um, uh, with, with a friend of mine about, the comparisons to maybe the board game world to the uh, craft brewery boom. Okay, and, 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 I can know. see that. No, that's legit. Yeah, that's legit. Where it it if you're a consumer, it feels like it might be the best time ever. But is there a bubble at all where there's just so many games coming out, like you just can't keep up? Is is that a reality at all? Or I don't know what, what I don't know. I, I we were just tra- drawing a, co- a comparison to some degree. So. The Industry estimates as of 2015 is that hobby board games or hobby games, tabletop games inside of the United States is a 1.2 billion dollar niche. I mean, 1.2 billion dollars is a lot. Yeah. Yes, but come on. Yeah, it's that is the total market. Right. You are not building a company the size of Oracle or Microsoft inside of something that's that's the total market. Right. right. Yep. And. It might be the case that 25% of that itself is collectible card games, which is 95% Magic the Gathering. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, 25% of it might be miniature types of games, which are 
dominated by uh, you know three or four companies. Yeah. And then when you get into the area in which we operate, the really like hobby board games, you know maybe it's two hundred and fifty million dollars total market per year, right? As of twenty fifteen, yeah. So is there a bubble? Maybe, hmm. but that is a that is not in the scheme of things. Yeah. It's not a lot of money. Right, right. Yes, it's a lot of money. A lot of money. If someone backs up a truck with two hundred and fifty mil, I'll take it. Yeah, but yeah, as far as an industry goes, no, not so much. Um, so there could be a bubble that'll be determined by the customers. Yeah, and all signs point to no. Right. There are new ones coming in, new customers coming in. Um, they don't realize yet that a lot of the games that they're getting aren't that great. Um. In my opinion, my not so humble opinion, we make great games. A lot of other people don't. Cynicism, yada yada yada. Uh, and um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't think there's a bubble. I do believe that, in a lot of ways, it is very similar to the craft brew uh, space. There are people who have some level of expertise in what it takes to make a good game, mm-hmm. and they don't like what they see out there. Yeah, and so they go about and they make it, yeah. and that might be, hey, I'm going to make these 200 copies in my bathtub. You know, in the case of the 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 home brewer, mm-hmm. um, or I'm going to figure out how to make a couple of thousand and sell those. In the case of a microbrew, uh, and in the case of something like, and I don't drink beer, having decided to become a Mormon, yeah. uh, and I never really did. But if you take like, and, and but my my family. Uh, on one side, not on my wife's side, they do. But so if you take company like Stone, I think Stone, right? They're in San Diego, and they they're kind of huge, and yeah. they came out of being a a home brew, micro brew, whatever, right. right? Right. And then there's some companies that they they just really get it. They make a great product. They do good marketing. They put it in people's hands. They consume it, and yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. Yeah, I, I, I think it is, is it is a very good comparison. There are people out there who see the current landscape. They There's some aspect about it. They don't like it, and they do something about it. And yeah. because the total size of the market is much smaller than producing alcohol, come on. I mean, can right. you get a better market than that? There's not a lot in the world. Uh, you know, you don't see as many. The numbers aren't as big and, and whatnot, right? Stone being... One of the best coming out of that microbrew space, mm-hmm. in and of itself, could be producing as much revenue as the entirety of the the sub niche that I operate in right. does annually. Yep. Right, right. So, yeah, interesting. So, if you uh, so if you were on a desert island by yourself, what game would you bring? Um, I would bring. I would bring. I'm trying to remember the name, Mega Civ, because it is the absolute largest game that, uh, as long as it could just be there, it is the absolute largest game that I can think of. It has the most material in it. I assume if I'm on a desert island, I'm going to want to use that material for something like uh, lighting a fire or whatever. Or if there was a game that came with tools that I would want, like knives or hammers or, uh, you know, that's what I would choose to have. Um, it's not a it, yeah. That's always my always going to be my answer. Yeah. You're on a desert island <laughs> and you had a choice of a game. What would you get? I would get the knife throwing game because it has knives in it. <laughs> right, right, right. I can use those things. Yeah. So, uh, do you ever play board games with your dad? I um. So I my dad taught me how to play chess, and we played chess a lot. We got to a point at some point in time where he was not going to beat me ever unless I was, like, drowsy, half asleep, and made some blunder. Uh, so we don't play that anymore. Chess has the the fundamental problem, I believe, of the skill level of players. Mm-hmm. Um, Go has that same problem, but at least in Go, you can, just, you can just give them a little bit of an advantage, and it doesn't affect the game as much as it would in chess. Um, other than that... My dad, in a lot of ways, he he's a very practical guy, like I am. And, you know, if he sat down and we played a game and it took an hour, he, in a lot of cases, he would say, I don't get, uh, what was the 
what result came from that. <laughs> I don't get it. Yeah. Um, you know, but he enjoys watching sports and things like that, which are also games. Um, yeah, it's just not. It's not the kind of thing that that uh, makes him super excited, which is fine. Okay, all right, cool. Well, where can people find out more about you, the company, games that you have going on? Uh, how do people find you online? Since we're on a podcast here, I will. I think the best way to go about it is to say, "Hey, you could listen to our podcast as well." Sure, yeah. Uh, it's the Tasty Minstrel Games podcast. You might be able to look it up as TMG Podcast. We just got approved in iTunes, so we're working on some. Uh, search optimization things so you can actually find us, uh, TMG podcast or the official Tasty Mitchell Games podcast. Um, but uh, that would be the best way to go about it since this is a podcast. Uh, other than that, you can go to our website, playtmg.com. Uh, you sign up for our emails. Those are legit. They're off the hook, nice. as as the kids would say these days. <laughs> um, yeah. Cool. That's the way. All right, Michael. I think we did it. We put yep, one in the book. All right. We just have to put our signatures on it now. That's all we have to do. All right, man. Okay. Well, I appreciate you taking time out of your day to, to talk to me and my listeners. Really great stuff going on. Great games. Great mind here. We're doing some awesome stuff. And uh, I'm going to encourage everybody to, to, to dive into your world. So I appreciate it, man. Thanks so much. Thanks. Hopefully it wasn't uh, too rambly. And, oh, no. Uh, it's perfect. It's perfect. It's good, man. All, all right. Thanks so much. Cool. Have a good one. All right. That was my conversation with Michael. I told you. I told you it was a good one. I, I you know, Sometimes I forget about some of the stuff we talk about because, you know, it was last week and life's busy and all that sort of stuff. And that being me, me being rude. But I, as soon as I heard the conversation about the blender, I totally forgot that, I, yeah, I need to go out and buy a, I think it's a Vitamix blender. I saw it at the mall the other day. Uh, I was also on Amazon checking them out. So I'm going to try to get a blender situation in here for smoothies for my own kids and my wife and I. So, uh, yeah, I forgot about how, how uh, I, I just love that, that we started off our conversation with a simple question and it turned into, I think, a great great insight into Michael's life. So, all right, guys, a uh, song we'll listen to is a song called In the Color Blue, uh, written by me, wrote by me and a buddy of mine, Jake, back in the day. And uh, hope you guys enjoy it. And I'll talk to you all on Thursday. Do you look up after you look down? Because you know if you look around, you're going to see a lot of things that displease. Yeah.
Make you hate, only you can make a change.